Well, if you were here with us at the beginning of the year, then you know that we started out this year with a very specifically stated goal in which we said that this year we want to do everything that we can to become a people who know the Word, meaning the Word of God as it's contained for us and given to us in this book, and not just who know it, but who live it. So it's know the Word, live the Word. That's our goal this year, and we have devoted the entire year really to digging into this book and to getting into this book and really to training our hearts and our minds and our spiritual ears, if you will, to knowing the voice of the God who speaks to us through this book. Why? So that we can come to know the God who speaks to us through this book and so that we can also come to know the sheer joy that it is of every day sacrificing and laying down our lives before Him in worship. As issue by issue and item by item, by the power of God's Spirit, we bring our lives into greater and greater alignment with the vision of this book, with the mission of this book, with the values of this book, with the ethic of this book, and with the teachings of this book. So know the Word, live the Word. That's the goal. And to accomplish that goal... We provided all kinds of different resources, started out at the beginning of this year, and they continue. And so, for example, we created the BTAT, and a lot of us took the BTAT, the Biblical and Theological Aptitude Test. They're at the Information Center. They're on the website, and their design is sort of in a fun way, frankly, to unmask you biblically in terms of how well you know this book and what it's saying. It's humbling to take the BTAT, but it's it's actually a really great exercise, and you don't have to turn it in, and we don't put your score on the wall. It's between you and God. We created a Bible 101 class, a 36,000-foot flyover of Scripture, a Bible 201 class where we talk about the covenants. Why is that important? Because the covenant is the organizing principle for the entirety of the Bible. We created a Bible 301 class where we're reading a huge systematic theology book that's frankly heavy lifting. It actually talks about things like, and the Greek word here means, and the Hebrew word here means, but it's not above you. It's not. It's challenging. But it's worth the exercise. We went out and researched study Bibles and said, okay, we want to declare an official study Bible at Rio Vista Community Church. Well, we did that. Then we ordered tons of them. And this is it, the Reformation Study Bible. There are a lot of great ones out there. This is the one we'd really love for you to get. You can get it at the Information Center. If you don't have it, pay what you can. Just get one. And then open it. And read it and study it, and look at the notes. Use it, wear it out, and deposit it into your heart that it can then begin to find expression in your life. And by the way, don't forget it when you come to church. I know we put the words up on the screen and we've trained you to read them there. Bring your Bible anyway, and read it in your lap, and write in it, and highlight it, and Fold the pages, I don't care, whatever, it's yours. But use it. We started making a study guide. We want everybody to grab one every time they come in here on a Sunday morning because we're serious about studying God's Word together, and it's become our community group program. That's what we study. Whether you're in a group or not, grab it. And then I tore up my whole sermon schedule, and you have no idea how much it breaks my heart to do something like that for this whole year. I'm the kind of guy that's planned out like way, way, way in advance, and when I'm not, I'm really irritated, okay? Tore it up. 
And what's developed is basically a list of what I would just call the fundamentals of the Christian faith, the basic practices of a follower of Christ. And what we're doing this year, if you haven't figured it out, is we're just working our way through that list. We're saying, okay, what is this basic practice of following Christ? All right, what does God's Word have to say about that? Now, why am I interested in that? So that I can live it. All right, now we got that up and running. How about the next basic practice about following Jesus? What does God's Word have to say about that? All right. I'm interested in that because now I can live it. All right, we got that up and running. What is that? You get the idea? That's the whole of this year. Now, why are we doing that? So that we can know Jesus Christ. And so that we can submit our lives to Him in worship. As item by item and issue by issue, we bring our lives into alignment with what He says in His Word. And in doing so, By the way, we then begin to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, which is what? It is to take the invisible God of the universe and to reveal Him to the world, to the nations through our very visible lives. It is to reflect His glory like the moon reflects the glory of the sun. So anyway, this morning, we come to the basic practice of prayer. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Then you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and begin to look with me at what Jesus is going to say about prayer to us, beginning in verse 5, and He says this, He uses the word and first, and then He uses, believe it or not, a very important word. It's a very regular-sounding word. It's not a word that would normally jump out at you and go, wow, you know, I think that might be the most significant word in this sentence, although I think it is. He says, and, and then here comes the important word. Are you ready? It's kind of anticlimactic because you can see it on the screen and you can see it in your Bible. If you brought it, you already know what the word is, but I'm doing all this that you might really focus on this word. He uses the word and, and then he says this, and here we go, and, and then he says when. When you pray. Now, just let that sink in for a minute because he doesn't say it if you pray. He says, and when you pray, and by saying when you pray, he's not talking about those moments in every one of our lives where crisis strikes, and whether you believe in Jesus or God or or not, you pray. We all experience those moments. Everyone on the planet at some point believes in God. It's not what he's talking about. He is talking about the regular practice and discipline of pouring out your heart and your soul and your mind unto the Lord your God and of really and truly communicating with Him on a regular basis. And when you pray, but that makes an assumption about us, doesn't it? He's assuming we do this. Basic principles, basic practices basic disciplines in growing in our relationship with Christ. Jesus says, and when you pray, and then He tells us what not to pray, or what not to do, rather, when we pray. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. And in the Greek language, that refers to like an actor in a theater. He said, don't be like a performer on a stage. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? Well, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That's their stage. And on the street corners, that's their stage. They like to stand and pray publicly in such a way that they may be heard by God. No, that they may be seen by men. The idea being that they're playing to an audience, but the audience they're playing to is the wrong audience. They're professing to play to the audience of God, but in reality, they're just trying to impress everybody around them. He says, when you pray, here's what you're not to do. You must not be like those people, like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by men so that people will kind of, you know, applaud them and go, wow, I just heard your prayer and you are like unbelievably spiritual. 
I mean, it was theologically sound. It was well-articulated. Clearly, you thought this out. Did you write this out before you? I mean, is this memory? The way you brought in Scripture for memory was incredible. And that little tear that you conjured up when you started to pray about the poor? Overwhelming. And everybody's overwhelmed but God. Everyone is moved by that kind of prayer, it seems, but Him. And that's the problem. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be not heard by God, but seen by men. And truly, I say to you, here's what Jesus says. He says, those people, they have received their reward. And what is the reward? It is the applause of men. It is not the reward or the applause of God. From God's perspective, an insincere prayer is no prayer at all. An insincere prayer is no prayer at all. But the truth is, you know, when you look at that particular example, you don't get too worried, do you? I mean, you don't. I, you know, I have never seen any of you standing on the street corners praying out loud, hoping to really impress somebody. And I think the reality is most of us anyway don't pray out loud at all. So it's sort of like we look at this and think, wow, you know, for the first time in a long time anyway, there's an issue that doesn't apply to me, you know? I mean, you stuck me in the heart with the and when, but... I never do that. Okay, well, let's just back out of it just for a second. What Jesus is denouncing is insincere prayer. Do you ever do that? Because I'm here to tell you, I think you probably do. Insincere prayer can happen on a street corner or it can happen on a dinner table. It can happen before a thousand people or it can happen before no one but you and the Lord. And I'm telling you, I do it all the time. I'm going to give you some examples. Maybe you like barbecue the way that I like barbecue. I doubt it, but maybe you do. I mean, I went to school in the South, and that does not include South Florida. That's like North Florida, that's Georgia, that's North Carolina, South Carolina. That's the South up there, guys, and and I think we all kind of get that. And barbecue is phenomenal up there. I got an email from a guy from Macon, Georgia, which is where I went to law school, and I said, man, if I was there with you right now, I would take you to Fresh Air Barbecue. You need to go to Fresh Air Barbecue, but I know that you've had triple bypass and your cholesterol is off the charts, so don't tell your wife I suggested it. Love, love barbecue. So let's say you get a hankering for barbecue, because that's what you call it, by the way. It's a hankering. I'm not hungry. I'm not going to, you know, I'd like, no. I got a hankering for some barbecue, and you go up the street to Tom Jenkins. It's good. It's not fresh air, I'll be honest. But it's the best about, you know, that we can do around here for the most part. Dixie Pig is also very good, just as an aside. And you order up what they call in North Carolina the biggin. Do you want the regular pork size sandwich or do you want the biggin? It's like, why do you even ask? <laughs> so you get the big pork size sandwich, you get the big old fried French fries that don't have enough salt for you, at least they don't for me, so you pour a bunch more. And then you get yourself a big fat Diet Coke, stands about yay tall. Someone told me about two weeks ago that if you take a penny and you put it into a container of Diet Coke and you leave it there long enough, it will dissolve the copper. Think about that for a second. But obviously you're unconcerned. I mean, you just ordered a massive pork sandwich. So you get the big pork sandwich, you get the big fries, you pour on, you know, the salt. Maybe you get the, you know, the corn and it's rolled in like butter, which is awesome. And then you get your big Coke and you're going to just like dive into this sumptuous feast and you are really excited about it. If you're anything like me, but before you do, what do you say? Dear God, what? 
Bless this food. Now, hold on a second. What does that mean? I like if God showed up and made everyone freeze and said, okay, uh, Tom, what does that mean? You know, I mean, bless the food. You want me to make it disappear? Do you want me to suck the fat out of it? You want me to, you know, preserve your penny by getting rid of all the chemicals? What are you saying? You know what you're saying? Nothing. Really. You're saying something because you know you're probably supposed to say something, so mostly you're just saying something to salve your own conscience. We ask God to bless things all the time. Bless this food. Bless this day. Bless our time together, Lord. Bless this. Bless the socks off of that person because, I, I don't know, it doesn't match their outfit, I guess. Somebody sneezes, we say, God bless you. How? By giving them a tissue? What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's just something we say. It's a matter of courtesy. It's a matter of convention. It, quite frankly, if it's a prayer or if it's intended to be actually, it's not very sincere. Give you another one. Thank you for this day. That's the universal beginning to virtually every prayer, isn't it? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Oh, okay. You mean the one that you've just been complaining to your wife for the last 45 minutes about? You know, right up until the moment that she finally made it to the dinner table, because let's face it, mom's the last one usually to get to the dinner table because she's serving everyone else, okay? So finally she gets to the dinner table, and now you can have your family prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Sorry, Tom, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything, Lord. It's something I say. You should know that by now. And bless this food, even though we got it from McDonald's. By the way, if you go to McDonald's, you can get two apple pies for the price of one. And they ask you if you want it. Did you, you know that? That's like, like an apple pie. Would you like one for free? Do you have to ask me that question? Those things are amazing. And if you put a penny in... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Sorry, God, that doesn't mean anything. It's just my introduction. Bless this food from McDonald's. We were running late. You know, that's all I got for you. And then here comes the next one. And be with us tonight. Okay, the Bible says God is everywhere, that there's nowhere you and I can go to flee from his presence, and that as believers in Jesus, by his spirit, he lives in us, so I'm going to go with he's already there. Be with us. Be with us in this. Be with us on that. And be with that person. And be with, you know, God's like, is there somewhere that I'm not? What does that mean? You know what it means? Nothing. And I'm not saying that you can't sincerely ask God to bless something or someone or that you can't sincerely thank God even for a really crummy day. By the way, you can only do that by faith in His Word, which says that He takes even really crummy days and He brings good things out of them. Through that imagination, you can sincerely thank Him even for a crummy day. And I'm not saying that you can't ask God to be with you or someone else or, you know, Uncle Joe or Aunt Sue or whoever in some kind of unique or special way. I'm just saying most of the time when we pray, we fill up our prayers with phrases that if God really put us on the point, you know, we'd have to admit, don't mean much. Jesus says, and when you pray, here's what you're not to do. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by men. Their prayers are insincere. That's the problem with them. So Jesus says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but it is not the reward of heaven. But when you pray, he goes on using that little when word again, here's what you are to do. 
Go into your room. The word means literally go into your closet. It's like a pantry. It's a small enclosed place, somewhere that you can't fit a crowd. In fact, that you can't fit anyone but you. Some place in your life that you can go to be alone with God where there are no people and no cell phones and no distractions and therefore no temptation to speak, to try to impress, or to focus on anyone or anything but Him. He says, go into your room when you pray and shut the door. And then, he says, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will what? He will reward you. But with what will He reward you? With everything you ask for? Yes and no. I think it's fair to say the Lord answers all of our prayers. He just answers them in His way and in His timing. God brings a greater wisdom than you and I bring to the whole topic of prayer. We do not know enough to know what to ask for in reality. And I think the Lord in grace often reconfigures our prayers, and then He answers those prayers. And He answers those prayers when He knows it's best for Him to do it. But I think bottom line, prayer is not so much about what we're going to get from God. It's getting God to get us stuff. Hey, God, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? How about that? Can you do this for me? He kind of makes Him the servant, doesn't it? I think the goal of prayer primarily is God Himself. It's relationship with Him. I think He gives to us of Himself. So if you're following along so far, what have we learned? Well, we've learned that you and I need to regularly spend time alone with the Lord God in our closet, whatever that is. Somewhere where there are no people, no cell phones, and no distractions, and He has your undivided attention and you have His. And then we need to get rid of all of these little phrases, and boy, is this a difficult thing to do, trust me on that one, that we just spit out in an unthinking fashion, and we need to have real and genuine conversations with the Lord our God. But then that leads to the next question is that what are we to pray about? I mean, okay, I know what I'm supposed to say now is real, but Tom, you've just taken away everything I ordinarily say to God, which is going to make it terrifying for you at lunch. But what am I going to say then? I mean, what does God's Word say that we ought to pray about? Well, Jesus is now going to begin to answer that, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, here's what's not to do. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And there's a lot to say about that portion. But I want to ask the question of their many words about what, or maybe it's better said about who. Because I think that Jesus answers that in His next phrase, and it seems to me that it's their many words that are primarily pretty much just all about themselves and their needs. Uh Uh-oh. Does that sound like anybody else's prayer life but mine? When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, he says, in case you missed it the first time. Why? For your Father knows what you, here it is, need before you ask Him. It's not to say you're not to ask Him. We'll get to that in a minute. But you'll see where that falls in terms of priority. He's like, don't fill up all your time in prayer just with you and your needs and yourself and your, you know, and it's... 
Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. It's not as pressing, perhaps, as you think. And so then he says, okay, here's what you are to pray about. And then he says, pray like this. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which is not a prayer that is given to us primarily for us to recite verbatim, though I am not a critic of that, and I think that's actually a good practice. But it's a good practice because it causes us to memorize this prayer, which is, in reality, a prioritized order of topics that Jesus hands to us and says, if you're looking for what to pray about, pray about this. It's like a series of hooks that He gives to us in a very particular order that is to be respected that we can come to and go, hook number one, topic number one, I'm going to hang my real words and thoughts upon that. Okay, now that I'm done with that, I move to the second hook. Real words and thoughts. Now the third hook, real words and thoughts. All the way to the end. And what's going to strike you, I think, as we look at this prayer, is that the part where we get to pray about us and our needs and all that stuff that pretty much consumes about 99% of our prayers, generally speaking, is in the second half of this prayer. It's subordinated to what comes first. And even when we get to that, What you'll see is that Jesus is not just teaching us to pray for us and ours. He's teaching us to pray for each other. There's no word me, there's no word my, there's no word I. So Jesus says, if you want to know what to pray about, well, okay. Pray then like this, he says, our Father. Now stop there for a minute. That's a topic, it's a hook. It's something to pause, to ponder, to think about, to pray about, to talk with God about. He's coming right out of the box, and He's giving you a vision of the one to whom you are hopefully locked in your closet, no people, no distractions, no cell phones, together with seeking sincere communication. And He's saying, first thing you need to know and talk to Him about is the fact that He's not some distant, uncaring, cold, uninterested being. He is your caring, loving, very imminent, everywhere present, living inside of you by His Spirit, heavenly Father. Meditate on that. Talk to the Lord about that. Consider the implications of that. Jesus says, if you want to know what to pray about, okay, pray then like this, our Father. And then He adds another hook, another topic in heaven. And that too is a topic, you see? That's something we need to consider. Every time God is pictured in heaven, do you know where He is? He is seated on His throne. He is pictured as the absolute emperor and king. Boy, that's part of the vision of Jesus then too, isn't it? That's part of the vision of God that He's giving us. And it's a concept that we don't relate to very easily as Americans raised in a democracy. All of our rulers, if you will, are merely politicians. That's it. And that's basically nothing compared to an absolute emperor and king. They're just people that, you know, we delegate authority over our lives to by electing them into office, and then we rightly demand from them certain things like loyalty, allegiance, service, help, all of those things. And when we don't get those things from them, what do we feel right and justified in doing? And perhaps we are justified in at least doing some of it, criticizing them, openly maligning them. I'm a little curious about that one withholding our resources from them, organizing in rebellion against them, voting them out of office, hopefully anyway? Well, that's not what we're talking about here. You and I did not vote in favor of God by becoming a Christian, by believing in Jesus. So long anyway as, you know, He serves us and 
is loyal to us in the way that we deem loyal, demonstrates his continuous allegiance to us in ways that we define, appreciate, and recognize, and is found to be helpful. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your father is your absolute emperor and king who demands authority over every inch and moment of your life. So before you drop the penny and the Coke, you might want to ask him, what do you think about this? Should I do this? And and he might go, yeah, put it in there because it's going to dissolve the copper and make you healthier. So it's possible. It's likely. But even that minuscule. Jesus says, if you want to know what to pray about, well, pray like this, he says, our Father in heaven. And then he adds, hallowed, which just means holy, be your name. That's another hook. Our heavenly daddy whom we're supposed to lock ourselves regularly into a closet, quote-unquote, with no people, no cell phones, no distractions to have real and sincere communication with based on this prioritized list of hooks is unlike anyone or anything else anywhere in all of the universe. He is altogether holy. He is other. He is different in ways that our finite minds cannot even begin to comprehend. And as such, He alone is worthy of the worship of our lives. He alone is the one to whom we really ought to bring every item and every issue into alignment. And not just us, but everyone and everything else on the planet, which He then covers next. Pray then like this, Jesus says, our Father, that's a hook, in heaven, that's a hook, hallowed be your name. Okay, we're, we're finding the hooks. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And how is God's will done in heaven? It is done perfectly. Perfectly. I think oftentimes we view our faith as a means of escaping this earth. It's like the thing that, you know, is going to get us finally out of here and into heaven. Heaven's the goal. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Heaven's just part of the goal. The earth is part of the goal too. Don't overlook the earth. We view the earth as some kind of a place that is to be God forsaken. Jesus is going, no, it's a place that is to be God retaken by the mercy and the message and the mission of the gospel through us. It's huge. Your kingdom come, he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that should inform not only our prayer lives as a matter of first priority, but the entirety of our lives as a matter of first priority. And that's basically what he says a few verses later in the same chapter. Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, but seek, and then what's the next word? Because it's a matter of priority. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, which begs the question of what things, will be added unto you. So what things is he talking about in that passage? Do you know? Because it's not, you know, wealth and prosperity and power. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about things that are far more important than even those things. He's talking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He's coming along to each one of us, and he's culling out of our lives the fundamental necessities for life itself. And he is saying, okay, make that list and understand this. You are to seek the kingdom of God, even before you seek those things. To say nothing of all the rest. And he's telling you, stop and pray about that. What does that mean for you and for me? What does that look like in our lives? It's a dangerous prayer. 
Jesus says, if you want to know what to pray about, all right, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to the second part of the prayer and he says, give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my debts as I also have forgiven my debtors and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. He doesn't say that again. He never uses the word me, my, or I. He uses the words our and us, we. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which practically speaking means that even when we get to the part where we get to pray about what our needs are, I'm still not just supposed to pray for me. I'm also supposed to pray for you and vice versa. It's communitarian. Pray for each other. And in telling us what it is that we're to pray for, he gives us a list, doesn't he? He's telling us at the same time what it is that each one of us really needs. And what do we really need? Because it's a real scaled-back version from what we think we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Basic necessities of life. It's interesting. The picture of the believer in the Bible is really kind of like the picture of Abraham. You know, he never owns a house. He just moves around in tents. He's a sojourner, even in the land of promise, isn't he? He lives his life in such a way as to say, this is not the land I'm looking for. This is not the land I'm going to build something lasting and enduring to my own name herein. We're moving through, and we're traveling light, or we should be. Jesus says, you want to know what you need? Because this would cut through a lot of anxiety. You need daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, to which maybe we ought to add and make us happy with that and content. Secondly, forgive us our debts, he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we need to be forgiven. But what else do we need to do? For the good of our own souls, we need to forgive. We need to mimic the behavior of God who forgives us by forgiving others, even when they're not deserving sort of like you and I. And then lead us not into temptation because we're all a whole lot weaker than we think, but deliver us from evil. It could also be translated from the evil one to which the old King James that we all grew up saying adds what? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't think that's actually in the Bible, but I do love it. It's biblical, at least, and it's beautiful. So what has the Lord done? Well, He's given us a prioritized list, hasn't He? He's given us a series of hooks. He's answered the question of both how we should pray and what we should pray about. That's what He's taught us from His Word today, but we're not just here to know the Word. We're here to live it. So I want to give you a little assignment. I want you to sit down this afternoon with your phone or calendar or computer, whatever you keep your calendar on. And if you are spending no time alone with God, I want you to carve out of your weeks, plural, at least three times a week where you're going to go get in your closet, whatever that means, no people, no distractions, no cell phones. No little cute phrases that all of us, and I am chief offender, use. 
and have real conversation with the Lord your God based upon the hooks that He gives you in this prayer. If you already do it three times a week, up it to five. If you already do it five times a week, up it to seven. And as you do this, don't just talk, but also listen. The Lord your God will speak to you as you pray. And look for that. How's He going to speak to you? Is He going to call you up? No, because your phone's off. So that's not going to work. Is He going to say, you know, something audibly to you? Highly unlikely, okay? But He's going to bring thoughts to your mind. He's going to bring people to your mind. He's going to bring sin to your mind. He's going to bring things that He's talked to you about already to your mind. He's going to bring verses of Scripture out of this book to your mind. So much of the reason you want to know the Word is so that you deposit it into your heart and it's there for the Lord to call up. You know that verse about, that's what I want to talk to you about. And you don't have to wonder what in the world He's saying. Statements about who He is and about what He's done. Statements about who you and I are and about what we've done. Statements about what it is and who it is that through this process He is remaking us to be. Don't just talk. Listen. So you got the assignment? It's up to you. I'm not going to call and check. I might call your wife, though, so just keep that in mind. Just kidding. Know the Word. Live the Word. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You that we can come to You and always have Your undivided attention. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word that reconstructs all of our thoughts regarding who You are and who we are and reveals to us things like the fact that You are our Father. That's so different from so much of what we might otherwise assume. And not just our Father, but our Emperor and King, God, I pray that You will take this Word this day and impress it upon our lives, that Your kingdom might come in us, that Your will might be done through us, that we might learn to be satisfied with daily bread and learn to live a bit lighter, that we might build not our own kingdoms but Yours. God, we ask for Your forgiveness, for we need it, and we pray that You would give us the courage to forgive also, for we also need that. Lord, we thank You for this time in Your Word, for all of the blessings really and truly that are ours. We pray, God, that You could cause us by Your Spirit to live for You better, that we might know You better and that we might make the invisible God of the universe visible to a world that needs to see what real glory looks like. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.